Well, good morning to our online friends. And good morning to everybody here in the room. We're so glad to see you and are grateful that you've decided to spend your Sunday morning with us, a little bit of it. And if you're online, maybe you're with us live. Uh, it's on, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on ccmonline.org. We're everywhere, man. We are international because it's the World Wide Web. All right, not just Michigan. So we're grateful that you're with us. And so friends at home, uh, if you want to get ready, we'll be receiving communion together. And so um, maybe you've got some bread or some crackers or some, and some juice at your house. Go ahead and get that ready. And then when we go to communion, we'll, we'll uh, receive it together as uh, people within these four walls and then people uh, throughout the world. May we never lose our wonder. May we never lose our wonder Wide-eyed and mystified May we be just like a child Staring at the beauty of our King May we never lose our wonder I want 
Come on up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually introduce you a little bit. Yeah. So you guys can go ahead and be seated. So uh, most of you um, are probably not unfamiliar with Hannah. Let's hear it for Hannah. Matson, yeah. But there's been so many cool things going on. So Hannah, just uh, to give you guys a little bit of information about Hannah and AJ, uh, Hannah's husband, AJ. AJ's back in the corner, see him? Working hard, yeah, making sure that we know what we're supposed to be saying when we're singing and everything else. And as hard as he does that, we still mess up, don't we? Anyway, um, so about the last 18 months, uh, Hannah and AJ, uh, we have been intentionally just trying to apprentice them and spend time with them. It's been amazing. Claire and I have had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Hannah and AJ And about a month ago, some of you already know this, but about a month ago, Hannah actually came on staff here at Crossroads as pastor of storytelling. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So there's a lot more stuff that we're going to kind of be bringing you into just information stuff. But I'm going to read Hannah's uh, bio because I think it's just helpful for you all to know as uh, Hannah is just such a gifted leader, AJ such a gifted leader. We'll get to AJ later about uh, some of his giftedness, but um, it, we just think it's good for you guys to know um, who the amazing people are that not only stand before you and communicate to you, but um, the people that are doing some amazing leadership things around Crossroads. So. Um, Hannah is pastor of storytelling, and I'm going to read it because if I didn't, I'm sure I would say the things that are most important to me and maybe not most important to you all. Uh, Hannah Hannah and her husband, AJ, started attending Crossroads 2019, immediately felt at home with the curious and loving people. Those of you that weren't (laughs) loving and curious, they didn't feel at home with you, but keep working. Anyway, see, that's the stuff that's not on this sheet. Hannah graduated from Hillsdale College in 2015 with bachelor's in art and religion and sociology and enjoyed previous roles as director of experiential storytelling at Albion College, associate Greek regional director or regional coordinator with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and as an area director at Spring Hill Camps. She is also certified in the I Enneagram Motions of the Soul. As storytelling pastor, Hannah hopes to tell us stories of God and the impact of crossroads that bring more people into the kingdom of God. Hannah loves learning for learning the story of God through scripture and talking with people about how we experience God. She's skilled at working in teams to find new ways to communicate the love of God to all people. Hannah is excited to continue imagining how God wants to partner with crossroads the Crossroads community, to see the kingdom of God bring freedom in Calhoun County and beyond. beyond. She's a new mom. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. And she's learning about God every day from her son, Miles, who is also on staff. But he he has yet to receive his first paycheck. Anyway, um, so we have so many amazing young leaders that are so passionate about Crossroads, and Hannah is certainly one of those. Can we welcome Hannah as she shares with us 
about the story of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. and one last thing. Hannah will be um, ordained with us before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that all the rights and privileges to help us with the sacraments of the church. And, uh, and so all, I, all we have to say is Scott and I are not leaving. But we're going to be, well, yeah, look, no, you don't have to clap. <laughs> we're not leaving. But there was only one person that clapped. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Thanks, I Karen. love you, too. Appreciate and, that. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're not leaving. And one of the things that we just think is so powerful about working with th- these newer, younger leaders, and more of them, you're going to be meeting them, is that they don't want the old people to go away. Because we think one generation will tell the next generation about the goodness of God, right? And we need the voices of the grandmas and the grandpas and the mamas and the papas and the babies. Amen? Yes? 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 So, okay. That's just, that's the big news. She will be ordained with us before the end of 2022. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. know I always have a PS for Scott. (laughs) Thank you. I am so excited to be preaching this series. Um, We're going to talk about the story of the Bible in four weeks, which is a big task. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm going to be preaching these first two weeks, and then AJ is going to preach the third week, and our friends Jacqueline and Griff Brown are going to preach together the last week. And we are so excited um, to talk about um, the wonder of God's Word. Um, and so, one second, I got locked out of my computer. Um, it's facial recognition here. <laughs> All right. Um, so we are so excited. Um, I am so honored to come on staff with the church. Um, I'll try not to get emotional about it, but I really feel like I'm standing on the promises of God for my life, for the life of my family, and this place has just edified our life so much, and I hope I can edify this church in just a fraction of the ways that I feel blessed by it. And I think that's a beautiful way to come to work every day. <laughs> Um, So in these four weeks, um, we're excited to talk about the story of the Bible. You'll see we've got four puzzle pieces that come together in community to be talked about. Um, And I love how that song kind of frames um, the attitude we want to have around God's word. We want to wonder. Um, And as they mentioned, this is now my second job where I have the word storytelling in the title. And as you can imagine, you get a few weird responses to that when you tell them you're the director of experiential storytelling. There's kind of two camps. The first is, um, oh, I love stories. That's awesome. But I have no idea what you do. (laughs) And then the second camp is kind of like, so you read books all day. That's That's interesting. Um, But my favorite response so far has been AJ's grandma when I told her that I was going to be the pastor of storytelling. She thought about it, and she said, so are you going to be the children's pastor? (laughs) And no, I'm going to let Sarah keep doing that. Um, She's doing an excellent job. Um, But I do think it's interesting that specifically when we're at church and we hear stories, we think of kids, right? We think of the Bible stories, the pieces of our faith that we hand out, hand down generation to generation. Um, and we were talking this week at our 20s and 30s something small group, which if you are looking for a small group and you're that age, we'd love to have you. We were talking about our relationship with the story of God before we did an inductive Bible study. And we all have 
these pieces of the Bible that were handed to us growing up, right? Um, So one person shared that there were eight or nine people in their life um, who had a very strong view of God's word. And she heard it so often that she kind of became numb um, to God's word. Right. Uh, I was talking with AJ, um, and he talked about how things like Veggie Tales, right, made scripture fun. Um, He went to community Bible study with his mom, um, and all of those things cultivated a love of God's word, um, but not all of the love that he would eventually find. Um, Other people talked about how they went to church but never really knew anything about the Bible, and that was a painful thing for them when they realized that they had been missing out on this beautiful thing. Um, And so we all have these pieces of scripture that are given to us, these views of God that we take in from media, that we take in from Sunday school, that we take in from the people who reflect God to us growing up. And sometimes we look at the pieces and it doesn't make a whole puzzle. And we get a little confused. (laughs) We don't know where this part of the puzzle goes, and so we get frustrated. Um, And the beautiful thing about journeying with God's word together is that we all bring different pieces into this room today. And we can see more together than we could ever see apart. And in these four weeks, we want to tell the story more simply um, because the same picture can be a 10,000-piece puzzle or it can be a four-piece puzzle. And we don't want to overcomplicate things for people, right? It's not helpful. But when we have the four-piece puzzle, we can start to sort the 10,000-piece puzzle, right? We can say the stars go over here, the rainbow goes over here, you work on this part, I'll work on this part. And hopefully in these four weeks, we can find a place for some of our questions. Because I think ultimately the Bible is about asking our questions and then living our questions about God and journeying together in that process. I think it's really important that the Bible is a part of the Trinity, right? The Bible is our tool for being with the Trinity. And so we cultivate that wonder and we're with God while we're in scripture, right? That wonder around the story that children have, right? I remember the first time I heard the story of Jonah and the whale. (laughs) And while it was somewhat confusing, I just was so amazed that like somebody lived in the belly of a whale and came out alive. And I never want to lose that when I read these stories. I want to be amazed by the story of God. And so um, as we think about um, why storytelling for my job title, um, stories have a way of creating our imagination. At Hillsdale College, um, one of the most popular classes was children's literature. Um, And Dr. Copeland always talked about how children's literature develops their moral imagination, right? It's one thing to tell a kid a hundred times not to go into a stranger's house. It's another thing to tell them Little Red Riding Hood, right? Like, you get the point. You don't want to do that. (laughs) And so um, as we think about why we need the story of God that the Bible gives us, it not only creates our moral imagination around what's right and wrong, but it creates our theological imagination around who God is and what it means to be in relationship with God. And I think more than ever, we need the imagination of being a character in the story, of being in conversation. Um, Eugene Peterson talks about a shift that happened to him when he was in seminary where he realized that his whole life people weren't that fond of the Bible, like they didn't enjoy it that much. And it was because people were using the Bible, right? Using it as an antidepressant, using it um, to be right or wrong. And suddenly he joined the conversation of the Bible and it changed everything.
everything. And Eugene Peterson is the translator of the message version of the Bible, which is one of the most important translations into modern American language that we have today. And it wasn't because of his obsession with each word, which he was very skilled at. It was because he dwelled in the passage and wanted his congregation to connect with the story deeply. So we hope that this series will help to develop our theological imagination as well. And I think it's important that the Bible tells one story. Because there's 10,000 stories, we can get lost on this big story arc. Um, And when we think about it being one story, we can categorize it, right? There's so many genres in the Bible. There's poetry, there's letters, there's history. But when we think about the big story, we can classify it as ancient Jewish meditation literature. And the thing about this kind of writing that is different than how people write today um, is it really is an interactive discovery process, and it's dense text, and they don't tell you everything you want to know, and there's so much ambiguity. And that was a risk that the writers were willing to take um, to point out the things that really mattered. During our inductive Bible study that Jacqueline led this week of Pentecost and Acts, um, our friend Victory pointed out that Um, Genesis 12, the Tower of Babel, was kind of the inverse of the story. That in Genesis 12, people gathered together to outdo God, and God scattered them across the earth and confused their language. But at Pentecost, people gathered, and even though they spoke different languages, they could all understand each other. And that's beautiful, but the answers to unlocking certain passages of the Bible are 500 pages later, and that feels really unfair, right? When we think about how we access the story, Um, And there's a beautiful Bible Project video on this ancient Jewish meditation literature that you should look up after. But they kind of talk about how Psalm 1 is the scripture that tells us about our ideal Bible reader. And um, the passage says to meditate on the word day and night. And the Hebrew word for meditate actually means to mutter under your breath. (laughs) And so they summarize how we should interact with the Bible this way. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself and then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And that's a beautiful image of how we want to live our lives together at Crossroads. One of our core values as a church um, is journeying with God's word. Our mission statement is helping people navigate the journey. And this is one of the primary ways that we do it, right? That we come together to understand what it means. And the value says the Bible is God's word to us. And understanding God's word allows us to become who God created us to be and do what God created us to do, which I think we all want. We read the Bible for transformation, not just for information. And if you ever want to see all of our core values on the church, you can go to the About Us section of the website to find out more. Um, So we're going to start journeying together through God's word um, with the story of creation. Um, And you might be um, a little disappointed leaving here today that we're starting a four-week series um, about a very large book with just the first couple of pages. We are not going to make it very far today. Um, But I think if we move too quickly past the story of creation, we miss what we were intended to be. And we miss the picture of the God who created us, who breathed life into us. And you really can't over-exaggerate the importance of that. Um, So next week we'll do a thousand pages. Today we're going to do two pages. But we want to start with the story of creation. So I'm going to start by reading Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. 
Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, The message version talks about it, the Spirit hovering like a bird over the inky abyss, which I think is such a beautiful metaphor for what that might be like. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And if you've read all of Genesis 1 before, you know there's kind of a pattern where God says, let there be, that thing comes into existence at just the voice of God, and then he says that it's good. On the second day, we separate the sky from the water. Day three, the land is separated and seed-bearing plants appear. On day four, seasons, days, and years, the rotation of the moon and the sun come into being. On day five, we have sea animals and birds. And on day six, we have land animals and humans. And each day, God says that it's good. So a lot of attention has been paid to this word good partially because there were a lot of origin stories that came out of Mesopotamia at the same time as the Judeo-Christian origin story. And a lot of them kind of follow this pattern of day one, day two, the play-by-play of creation. But our relationship with God is so different in our origin story than in any other. And this word for good is so important. Um, The Hebrew word is tov, which we kind of have some reference for because it's the word in mazel tov, right? (laughs) Um, And tov is anything that bears life with the potential for more life. So, for instance, a tree is good because it creates oxygen and fruit that keeps the environment alive. And it also has seeds that will reproduce, go into the ground, and be sustainable forever, right? Um, But if a seed falls and doesn't take root in the ground, that's not tov because that's not sustaining our whole environment forever. And Lisa Lisa Sharon Harper puts it this way in her book, The Very Good Gospel. Tov is the Hebrew word for good, but the word does not refer only to the goodness of the object itself. It also refers to the ties between things. In the Hebrew conception of the world, all creation is connected. The well-being of the whole depends on the well-being of the individual part. And I think it's a huge breakthrough to understand that goodness is between all things. That God didn't just create individual things well, but he created them well to be in relationship well. And so we see the creation of man in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. The text says that, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw what he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. 
And even our um, title for today, um, Created for Good, is actually coming from an inner varsity gospel sharing tool um, that I used when I was on staff with inner varsity. And one of the things that they, in, um, that they emphasize about the way that humans were created is this goodness between, that humans were created for goodness with the world, for right relationship with our land. Humans were created for good with each other. Our relationship with one another um, was made in total harmony. And our relationship with God was completely beautiful, fully trusting during creation. And after that's over, on day six, God says that it's very good. And the word for very in Hebrew is meod. um, And it's used a lot of times, right? Because the word very is something we do, we use a lot. It can be attached to any word. But this idea of muchness, abundance, forcefulness, it intensifies anything to its total capacity. And I love that picture, that it's the the total capacity of goodness um, when we're created and added and co-creating with God in the world. And actually that word mayod is in the Shema, which to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's another word for strength that is used all throughout scripture, um, but in this case it's mayod. Love the Lord your God with all your muchness, with the total capacity of who you are. That is what we were created for. And it says that we're made um, in our image, in our likeness, um, in the likeness of the Trinity. And that is something that would be a no other origin story. Like, that is really not normal. I think there's a radical kind of trust that God gives people to bear his image. If I'm thinking who I want to represent me somewhere, I have pretty high standards. (laughs) And God chooses all of humanity. Um, He trusts you to bear his image. And all human beings have this likeness. Lisa Sharon Harper makes the point that um, many people believe that the text of Genesis was written down for the first time by the priests as they exited exile. And a very normal thing in origin stories would be for there to be a power grab, right? To say the priests were created in the image of God. (laughs) But in this story... All of humanity bears that image. There is no superiority in the way that humans were made. And it talks about how we will rule over um, so many things in our world. And ruling in Tov means co-creating with God for the good of all things, right? It doesn't mean that we dominate for the good of us. It means that we rule for the good of all and the sustainability of our world forever. Just such a beautiful image. So as we head into Genesis 2, we get this picture of what it was like with God. Genesis 1 is kind of a play-by-play of how things happened. Genesis 2 is our view into what life in the garden was like with God. Walking with God was not just a metaphor that we had. We walked with God. We named things with God. Um, And as we look at this story, I want to point out that God's original and eternal desire is to be with us. And it's essential to understand that that's where we begin um, if the gospel is to be truly good news. Um, I think so often the primary feeling um, that we can feel as humans is shame. And if we go, if we jump too far ahead in the story of the Old Testament, we miss that that was not our designed purpose. We should be longing to be in the garden with God. And I think underneath a lot of what we feel in the world today, we have this longing for something we really were created for and created in. 
Um, and we have this hope as Christians that not only will we be with God, but that we already have been, that we're longing for something because it had existed at one point in our world. So in Genesis 2-7, we see um, our call to worship today. God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. Man came alive, a living soul. Such an intimate way for us to have spirit, right? For God to come and form us from the ground and breathe the breath of life into us. And then in Genesis 2, 19 and 20, it talks about how now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Once again, that weird amount of trust, right? To see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. So God would speak something into existence. He would create it from the dust in the ground, and then man would come alongside and give a name to it. And it makes me think today of how anthropologists and archaeologists, right, are still naming things in our world that God created. We still have this much authority in the world that God created for us. And in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we see, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And one of the kind of repeated theological questions about Genesis 2 um, and 3 that people has is if the garden was perfect, why would you include a tree where people would die? Why would there be a way out of this perfect place? And I want to, you know, suggest that our view of perfection is very different than God's goodness. And in God's goodness, there is still vulnerability. There is still the ability um, to make our own decisions. There is still the ability um, for the world to change. Um, And in our view of perfect, we often think it's unbreakable. And that's not what the garden was like, right? God walked and trusted man enough to actually let man do what happened later in the story. So the tree is actually the symbol of our trust in the goodness of God. One of the things I found very interesting this last couple weeks is that in Genesis 1, it's really clear that man is ruling over every tree. Like, it's very specific that they possess and can eat from and have dominion over every tree um, and plant in the world. Um, So it's not that God is withholding this from them. It's instead that it's something that was given to them to do with as they would in the story. And so as we think about um, this beginning of our scripture, God created us in this trusting, beautiful partnership. And I just want to invite us to wonder at the fact that God made us to partner with us, to co-create in the world. Um, He made us to be with him, to walk with him. And God's invitation is to trust in the goodness that can exist between the Trinity and all created things. Even though our world currently has brokenness in it, God is still at work to restore the shalom that existed in the beginning. And so I would just invite you to think about where in your life do you experience the longing of a perfect world? Um, And it can be scary to experience longing um, because other feelings come out of that. (laughs) And when you experience longing, you don't know necessarily if you'll ever see the fulfillment of that on the other side. 
Um, But as we think about the things we long for, God invites us to hope in the things that he will do for the rest of eternity and the rest of our scriptures. Um, And as we head into these next weeks, we will continue to bring those things, bring the things we long for along in the story of God for the healing of all things. So, thanks. So I'm going to invite um, Scott and Claire up to lead a breath prayer. Thank you, Claire, for watching my baby. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that we talked about um, as a group when thinking about this series is there are so many ways to engage with Scripture. So on the papers on your table, you see these examples of breath prayer. And on the back um, are all of the scriptures we talked about today. I meant to invite you (laughs) to take notes, circle them, inductively study them. But that's something you could do throughout the week, too. (laughs) And um, oh, he's in different clothes. Great. (laughs) Um, But breath prayer is a great way to embody the things that we're working with with God. And so we want to find ways to live scripture that might be new um, and challenge us to grow more. And on the eighth day, God created the poo-poo. Miles has it. Hi. He wants the mic. He wants the mic. Yeah, and, um, and what I, I, I want to just invite us to do is stand, if you can, feel the goodness of your breath. I think it's phenomenal how smart God is Amen. every time I think about it. You know, it, it, when we look at all of our, um, our neurobiological functioning and how important the breath is for our stress, all the therapists in the room said, yes, we're teaching our clients to breathe. Right, And all the kindergarten teachers and beyond should teach their students to breathe, right? Because because there is a calming of the nervous system. And when people are not breathing like they have bated breath, right, or they're hyperventilating, we see um, a difference of how we can connect with our own soul and with God. So we call breath prayers here at Crossroads, we call them a way to link our biology with our theology. And that way, we, the things we want to say about God, we're breathing them in and breathing them out to the world, right? As the breath of God, really, in the world. I mean, we, we carry the breath. Can you all just think about that for a minute? You carry the breath of God for other people which is why sometimes in interactions with, you know, for us, is we stop and take a breath before we respond. It's a really good practice. Stop and take a breath. Link your theology with your physiology, right? And so I wonder which of these breath prayers might offer you a way this week to pray without ceasing. Which of these breath prayers? Just one of them that you could actually commit to memory and your breath. Just one. Because we have too many things in our minds. And if we can simplify our theology at a moment with things like, I am God's creation, God calls me good. 
we might actually respond differently to people. You think that could have an effect on how you talk to people? You know, do you think it might, uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made? All your works are wonderful. Might stop you from posting that thing on Twitter? Like, those kinds of breathings actually can connect us with what is most true about us rather than our irritation, our making sure people know I'm right and you're wrong. The spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Then you start connecting with the reality that you have a breath of life to give, not the, not the kiss of death. Be still and know your maker. Be satisfied in your creator. Oh, in a world where we are not satisfied and we're consumers and we, we envy and we don't think we have enough or have done enough or are enough. What if we were satisfied with our Creator before we made that purchase or declared that negative self-talk? Satisfied in the way that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. From everlasting to everlasting. All your works are good. And letting all the works that God has done on your behalf, all the wonder and the beauty that God's created, open you up to more than this constricted situation that's happening right now, but widening your ability to see God's works. We find our place in creation. Your hand sustains us all all, even as I pray for my enemy or those that I feel are against me. Your hand sustains us all. And we'll save the last one for all of us together, but maybe you want to write the inhale and the exhale down or you just want to choose it and begin to breathe it here for a moment. In these three minutes of quiet, as Ron helps us with music, I'm going to invite you to either go breathe your prayer at the prayer wall and light a candle, or write it on the paper, or take a walk with it around the perimeter of the room. However, whatever helps you drop this prayer down more fully. Or maybe you're a person who likes to sit and pray. Some of us need to move and pray. So however, choose a breath prayer and let's pray it for the next three minutes.
are God's creation. God's intent has always been God's goodness in your life. You are God's masterpiece. Walk fully in the intended purpose God has for you. Stay in wonder. Be mystified. And open yourself to the fullness God has for your life. We bless you all and pray that these words will stay with us deeply. And we'll see you next week.